Welcome to the Telford Minster podcast. Thank you for joining us and listening along. Our vision is to make Jesus known in Telford and we hope that your attention is grabbed by Jesus today and what he's doing in your life. We have moved into the completed Minster space on Southwater Square in Telford and we'd love to invite you to come along and give church a try at our 4pm gatherings every Sunday. We're opposite Wilco's and above Novella Lounge. Um, And my immense privilege to be uh, speaking today as we come to the end of this sermon series on the letter of uh, James. So uh, sorry to those of you who are here, and I've met one or two for the very first time, but this is the conclusion of a series that we've been in for a number of weeks uh, or months. And I love it when scripture takes us by surprise. Um, And scripture, the Bible has the capacity to do that, doesn't it, all the time. (laughs) We think we know what the Bible's going to say, and then suddenly it says something to us entirely different or entirely new. Um, And the way in which uh, James concludes his letter comes as something as a surprise. (laughs) Because right up to this point, the letter is all about how we put our faith into practice. Um, You'll recall been here we've looked at all kinds of subjects which are all about saying don't just say you've got faith but actually demonstrate your faith in practice (laughs) whether that's the way in which you speak about other people the way in which you use your tongue um, whether it's about treating some people uh, as favorites over and against others um, whether it's about how we treat the poor as distinct from how we treat the rich There have been some real ouch passages, haven't there, (laughs) Uh, where James has really put his finger on uh, our ability to say that we're people of faith, but sometimes our inability to demonstrate that faith in practice. Um, And that's been the bias of this very challenging series that we've been engaged with. And we may just have expected that when James got to the conclusion, the climax of his passage, he would reiterate that. (laughs) Um, So the climax would be, uh, friends, uh, church, make sure that you don't just be listeners of of the word, but you're also doers of the word, and make sure that you put your faith into practice. And that was the kind of climax, the conclusion that we might have expected at the end of this letter, which is all about practical uh, action. And the surprise is that actually James doesn't do that. Jay takes us by surprise by speaking about prayer. Um, and actually, if you've become familiar with the letter of James of recent weeks, you may just have noticed that he doesn't mention prayer at any other point. <laughs> so we've got five and a half chapters, and the word pray and the word prayer makes no mention, is, no mention is made at all. In fact, Jesus hardly gets a mention. <laughs> it's all about action Um, in response to an internal faith. There's nothing about spirituality. There's nothing about spiritual discipline. There's nothing about private prayer or public prayer. Uh, And then suddenly, this becomes the climax of the entire letter. Uh, And every verse in the passage that we saw on the video, from verse 13 through to 18, take a look. Every single verse has got the word prayer in it. Um, And it's as if James has got to the end of the letter and thought, hang on, 
um, I maybe just need to correct any misunderstanding that the Christian life is just about being busy for God. Even righteously busy for God. And I've been around in church circles for long enough to know that whole churches can be righteously busy for God. But they rarely pray. They advance into the, into the mission of the church, but they don't retreat into the Lord of the church. And we've been thinking over these weeks about how all these practical features are to be the kind of values that we aspire to in this new church of Telford Minster, that we might be known as a church that doesn't show favoritism, where we speak well of one another, we use our tongues well, where we respond with generosity to the needs of the poor. We want all these things to be values in our church. And I think in this final passage, we're saying we want also, as a value in this church, that we're not just a church that is righteously busy, but we're a church that learns to be busy, but also to retreat into God. Is that right? We want a church that does, but also that prays. Uh, that exhales, so to speak, to use that image, in speaking out to the world, but also inhales in taking in the life of God. We're a church that both advances and retreats, that is absolutely active in the world, and there's far too many passive churches and passive Christians. We want all of that, but we want it to be undergirded by retreat into God and into the places, the secret places, the hidden places of prayer. And it's just as if, as I say, I don't know if it's the case or not, that James has got to the end of his letter and thought, actually, there's a corrective needed here. Um, because it's not all about doing, it's also about uh, praying. It could have been the other way around, actually. That the whole letter was about prayer... And the corrective would have been, actually, go out and now do this. It's the two things that go uh, together. So I have to say, I come to this passage, and I've, I guess, read it many times and preached on it probably many times over the years, but I come to it still as a learner. Anybody else here a learner in the areas of prayer? Uh, where are the people who've got prayer? <laughs> you know, who've mastered prayer? Um, I don't know the, the image that came to my mind as I was reflecting on this was that main path up to the top of the Rekin and there's a point where you think you've got to the top you know <laughs> and then you get to it with some relief having charged up in half an hour or whatever and then suddenly it plateaus and there's another peak ahead of you um, and that's how prayer feels to me, that if ever I feel I've mastered prayer, <laughs> I've somehow got to the top of the mountain, the Lord humbles me by showing me a, a higher peak, uh, a place of greater encounter in prayer that I've yet to reach. And I guess I'm going to go on until my dying day, <laughs> um, always with an L plate on my back, wanting to learn more and engage more uh, with the subject um, of a prayer. Um, my guess is that's you as well. Lots of learners around. Um, let's come to this passage, in a sense, even in its all its familiarity uh, to some of us, saying, Lord, teach me something new that will take me higher up the Rekin, or indeed higher up uh, the Everest, 
which is the adventure of prayer. So can I just pick out four things um, from this passage, um, uh, all of which are straight from James. Remember, preaching is not the preacher's ideas on a passage. Preaching is the bringing to our attention, refreshing uh, us, our, 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 our minds and our hearts with the truth that is written in the Word. So if you hear anything from me that's not in the passage, then you come back and tell me that. And I think the first thing is this, that we can pray in all circumstances. I think James is very clear about that. Have a look at the passage, if you've got the passage in front of you, chapter 5 and verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. And actually the Greek word there for trouble is the same word that James uses for suffering in persecution that he has used elsewhere uh, earlier in this book. When you're in real trouble, um, pray. Um, but then prayer isn't simply for times when we're in trouble. I think some of us can pray more readily in difficult times than when we're in good times. But he says, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Um, we can pray whether we're on the mountaintop or whether in the valley bottom of uh, life. Uh, and then he goes on to say, is anyone among you ill? And he talks about calling the elders of the church to pray over you if you're unwell. And he talks in verse 16 about praying for one another. Um, we can pray in all circumstances, whether we're in trouble, whether we're happy, whether we're ill, um, and look at what he says here also in verses 15 and uh, 16. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Uh, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be uh, healed. We can pray when we've messed up. You know, when we've fallen foul of God's righteous law. Uh, we can pray when we've failed in life. And we can pray in times of remorse and times of regret and I think if we were to add uh, times of trouble and times of happiness and times of illness and times of failure and I think if you add all those four together in their varying degrees of intensity haven't you got the whole of life is there any experience in life that doesn't fit into times of trouble happiness illness um, or failure. Um, and what James is absolutely clear, clear about here is that in all of these circumstances, we can pray, indeed we must pray, um, that God wants our attention and he wants us to bring these things into his uh, presence. There's no part of life that we need to hide from him. Uh, there's no part of life that we can't share with him there's no part of life that's too mundane or too ordinary for our gracious God to be interested in. There's no part of life that actually is too embarrassing for him to engage with. He wants us to pray in all the circumstances of our lives. And Chris Candia, perhaps an author that's known to some of you in a book I'm reading at the moment called God is Stranger, makes this point ever so simply when he says this, prayer is not just the exchange of demands, 
a wish list of things that we try to nag God into fulfilling, it is a transforming means of developing friendship with the Lord our God. And we might say it's a trans- add to that, it's a transforming means of developing friendship with the Lord our God in good times and in uh, bad. And maybe it's the most obvious thing to say. <laughs> but just maybe um, in your time of trouble at the moment, uh, in your mountaintop at the moment, in the ill health that's spoiling your life at the moment, in your sense that you've messed up and failed again, Lord, again, <laughs> you just need a reminder uh, from James, from the Lord, from this humble preacher, um, that actually you can take all of that to God in prayer. We can pray in all circumstances. Amen. And then the second thing I think we can say from, uh, or James says in this passage, is that we can pray knowing God's power and immense generosity. Who are we praying to? We're praying to a God of immeasurable power and supreme generosity. And I love the end of verse 16. Take a look at that. If you're, memori- if you're a memorizer of scripture, <laughs> this is a sentence for you to uh, commit to memory. The prayer of a righteous person is, complete the sentence, is powerful and effective. Let's say it together. The prayer of a righteous person is power and, uh, and powerful and effective. Um, And why is prayer powerful then? Uh, Not because the prayer itself, in and of itself, is powerful. Most of my prayers, let me be absolutely honest with you, are more pitiful than they are powerful. Uh, They're powerful not because of the persuasiveness or the intelligence or the accuracy or anything else of the words that come from our lips. Prayer is powerful because we speak to a God who is uh, powerful. Uh, It's never about the adequacy of our words. It is always about the adequacy of God himself, who is supremely, supremely uh, powerful. So when we pray, it's like opening a little door. Our prayers feel so pitiful and ineffective. But we open a door into a room in which are laid out before us the immeasurable riches of his grace. <laughs> uh, supreme power. And I guess during this past week we've enjoyed looking at some of the images from the new NASA uh, James Webb telescope. Anybody seen them? Um, I saw the image, this, some of the images of Jupiter this morning, which are absolutely breathtaking. <laughs> and of course this... Um, uh, this uh, the magnification possible uh, through uh, this telescope is trying to take people back down the millennia uh, to when the light first exploded. Um, and what does that reveal to us? It reveals to us something of the power and the wisdom and the creative wonder of the one to whom we pray. How utterly astonishing that when we pray our pitiful prayers... <laughs> when we bring a little bit of faith to the thing we're asking for, we're actually bringing it before the Lord of all, the one who has created the universe in its majesty and in its splendor, and the one who has created everything on this earth in its minute brilliance 
We pray to him. <laughs> Come on, that's worth a hallelujah, isn't it? Isn't that worth an amen? <laughs> Doesn't that kind of thrill our hearts? That the Christian life is access into relationship with the God who is the creator of all. And if I might add at this point, the other bit of less seemly news uh, this week has been the publishing of the report into child grooming and exploitation in our town. I've not read the report. I've listened to the television and radio, read something bits in the paper. Um, and it's pretty depressing, isn't it? And it's salutary that it is in the very town that we pray for, that we're set amongst. And the thought that these things have been going on, not for a few years, but actually for decades, that this sin of child exploitation has become deeply embedded in the local culture of the community that we're called to bring the kingdom of God into. And we might just think, therefore, given the resilience of this deep darkness, how can we possibly confront it? What, what hope is there actually for a cleansing of something that is so deeply embedded? And we sang earlier, Jesus makes the darkness tremble. That you know? <laughs> he is quite capable of pushing back the boundaries of darkness and building, even in the midst of a kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of his light. Because he's God. And we can pray our little pitiful prayers and we can bring as much faith to it. And friends, we've got to. Because they're not pitiful. They are supremely powerful and supremely effective. Because we're able to speak to the Lord and creator of all. At whose very name the demons flee. Who causes the darkness uh, to tremble. Friends, when we pray... We pray to a God of absolute power. An immense generosity. I mentioned, as I didn't mention, there are a couple of allusions to prayer earlier in this letter. The word prayer doesn't appear. The word pray doesn't appear. But there are a couple of very significant um, verses that allude to prayer. Uh, one is in the first chapter, chapter 1 and verse 5, which says this, If any of you lack wisdom... Ask God who gives generously. <laughs> if any of you lack wisdom, ask God and he gives generously without finding fault and it will be given to you. And how about this one in chapter 4 and verse 2? You do not have because you do not ask God. Wow, that's an ouch thing, isn't it? You do not have. Why don't you have it? <laughs> Why is the kingdom not advancing in your life and in the church and in the town? You do not have, says James, because you do not ask. Try asking and then see what might happen. And then thirdly, because we pray to a God of such power and such generosity, we can dare to pray for the seemingly impossible. Okay? Let me say that again. Because we pray to a God of such power and such generosity, we can pray for the seemingly impossible. And James illustrates that point with reference to the prophet Elijah. And I have to confess, I, I love the prophet Elijah. <laughs> He's my big Old Testament hero, Elijah. And I've studied him and preached him over uh, the years. 
And the particular thing about Elijah's um, use, sorry, about James's reference to Elijah is that he points to the power of Elijah's prayer to do the seemingly impossible. Um, If you don't know the story, there's a wicked king in Israel. He's called Ahab. His wife is called Jezebel. Um, They're leading the, the, the country into darkness. And God raises up Elijah. And at the beginning of his ministry, um, he, well, in fact, he doesn't say he prayed. It says he stood before God in the original Hebrew. And when Jewish people pray, they stand before God. And he pronounced that there would be a drought in the land, that there would be no rain in the land until Ahab had been got rid of the seemingly impossible, and the rain stopped. And there was a drought for three, three and a half years in the land. Um, And then how did the drought end? Uh, And this again has impressed James. The drought ends because Elijah prays that the impossible will happen. That in a time of drought, the rain might come again. And again, it doesn't say he prayed, but it says this. Note this fantastic verse. Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, that's the mountain, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. And then every now and then he sends his servant to say, has the rain come yet? Has the rain come yet? And eventually his servant says, there's a little rain cloud on the horizon. But he sits on the mountaintop, crouched over with his head between his knees. What else could he be doing? (laughs) But he is praying. And friends, if Elijah's prayers can change the weather, we can pray for things that are beyond the humanly possible. Uh, He can do what we cannot do. He can do, as Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 3, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Um, So that means we can bring before God the things that we yearn for, that we long for, that feel like they're completely unattainable, that are humanly unattainable, and we can bring them into the presence of God who actually can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And I don't know, is there something in your life that just feels unattainable? uh, Utterly impossible that that situation might change, that that ill health might go, whatever it might be. Um, Friends, the invitation is there to speak to the Lord of all. Uh, And if Elijah's little prayer on a mountaintop can bring rain after three and a half years drought, just maybe, just maybe, he can do something astonishing in your life and then I have to say God sometimes acts even before we ask have you noticed that Um, you know he'll always remind us that it's about him actually it's not even about our praying sometimes it's about him can I just read you a little letter that I received only three or four weeks ago after speaking at a filling station meeting um somewhere in the black country. And this is what she's... Pam, it's from a lady called Pam Page. She said I can use her name. And this is what she wrote to me. 
She says, I have osteoarthritis in most of my joints. But over the last eight years or so, it's the arthritis in my ankles and left foot that has been giving me the most problem. It has limited my walking considerably and also my ability to stand for even one worship song. At the May filling station, my ankles were burning. Not unusual, as I'd been on my feet shopping for the evening and for our holiday the following week. I may have stood for one of the worship songs, but that was all. I do remember one of the songs having the word dance in it and thinking that I wished I could dance for the Lord. And as you started to speak, there's no prayer happened at all. As you started to speak, my ankles that had been burning gradually felt as though they were on fire. They were so hot, I almost expected to see flames coming out of them. This slowly subsided. I didn't even stand for prayer, as standing up and down isn't or wasn't easy. We cleared away and went home tired. Friday morning when I got up, I immediately knew something was different. I could walk easier and my ankles felt firmer. It has been absolutely amazing, even life-changing. I expected to go on holiday, sit on a bench and let my husband go for a walk. Instead, I walked further in that five days than I have for at least the last five years. <laughs> Friends, let's... Um... Who, who did that? Who did it? The Lord our God. The same Lord who Elijah spoke to at the beginning and end of a drought. Um, I'm going to go off piste a little bit here and just say I'm still in awe of the healing that my wife has received from uh, ovarian cancer. Um, I'm kind of in awe that we're able to talk about next year and next year together, because that really didn't seem to be on the, you know, on the horizon, <laughs> uh, even maybe four or five months ago. Now we're thinking, actually, we've got a year. And how many more years might God bring as he brings his healing? Um, and if Anne was here, she'd be staring at me now, okay. Don't you dare say that. But she's developed an incisional hernia. In other words, a, a huge hernia in her abdomen as a result of the cancer surgery. It's hugely uncomfortable. And I am praying this, because she can't have surgery for it because of the complications with her chemotherapy, ongoing maintenance chemo. I am praying that the Lord closes the hernia. And, I, and I'm praying only because it feels humanly impossible. <laughs> you know? It simply can't be done. <laughs> You know, naturally speaking, it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. If anybody wants to join me in praying that that hernia re-zips, would you do that? Would you pray with me? And I'd love one day to stand on this platform and say the God who can do the impossible has done the impossible, and to him be the glory. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know, I mean, Caitlin and Laura will lead us in, in ministry, but I wonder if some of you are sitting there thinking, what I am carrying in my life at the moment is intractable, immovable, utterly and totally impossible, and I don't see any human way of changing it. And today I would say to you, 
in the light of the passage, in the light of Elijah's experience, in the light of the history of what God has done through millennia, dare today to pray for the impossible to happen. If there's ministry today, why not come and get ministry? Maybe you've never been for that before. Maybe you've never felt I could ask for the change in this part of my life. Well, why not ask for the impossible? And friends, I've got a final point, if you bear with me. <laughs> okay. Pray in all circumstances. Uh, pray to a powerful and a generous God. Pray for the seemingly impossible and I think the other thing that James is really, really clear about is this, pray for one another. Uh, pray for one another. I think there are some times when we've got to climb the mountain and kneel down and put our head between our knees and simply pray in isolation in the secret place. Um, indeed, we need more of that. <laughs> Because if you think the Christian life is all about busy, 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 and not developing, and it's not easy, in the secret place, your relationship with the living God, that's what it's about. And we need to grow in that part of our lives. But James also says, in addition to that, when you are sick, call the elders. Get them to come and pray for you. Um, I've often felt that, that the elders in churches, whether they're, whatever they're called, should carry oil. You know? And some do, because it's part of the job description that when we hear that members of our flock are unwell, we've got the oil, we go to them and we anoint them. And what does James say? And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise him up. But he also says in verse 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Uh, the ministry of praying for the sick, just for the elders and leaders of the church, it's for every single one of us. And I remember just a few years back, and I think it was a New Wine Leadership Conference in Harrogate, where John Wimber, that may be a name known to some, possibly not to others, who was a, a leading proponent of the ability of God to heal. Um, and I remember him preaching from the platform and he'd got, he'd got throat cancer. He kept having to spray his throat in order to lubricate it, in order that he could go on preaching that God can heal. Uh, because he believes that the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. And when it came to ministry, all he said was, right, stand turn into a circle, share your needs with each other, and pray for one another. And we need to be careful that we don't so professionalize the ministry of the church, that we don't democratize the prayer of the church. Um, and his manner was always that, not come to the front, but turn to one another, share your needs with one another, pray with one another, and I distinctly remember again and again and again, he'd say, who's been healed? And all these hands going up <laughs> around the whole of the Harrogate uh, auditorium. I, I've said enough, haven't I? Um, let me finish just with a final thought. Because I said that, yes, James does take us by uh, surprise when he moves from practical 
guidance on living out our faith to talking about prayer. And yet he does take us by surprise, but there's a similarity in the way in which he deals with teaching about practical issues and dealing about prayer. And I think the similarity is this, that James would just say to us, get on and do it. There's no ifs and buts or nuances in his teaching on prayer here, as there are no ifs and buts and nuances about the way in which we're to use our tongue or deal with people uh, with favoritism, whatever it might be. Uh, he, I think there's a sort of straightforwardness to James where he would say, just get on. Live the Christian life. And friends, just get on and pray. Pray in all circumstances. Just do it. Uh, pray to a powerful and generous God. Just do it. Uh, pray for the seemingly impossible. Don't mess about. Just do it. That's when the miracles happen. And pray for one another. Just do it. Just do it. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has blessed you. Hit the subscribe button to hear more like this. And to find out more about Telford Minster, follow us at Telford Minster on Instagram and Facebook or go to telfordminster.org.uk.